Welcome to Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Your host, Jeanette Linfoot, talks to incredible people about their experiences and unleashing their full potential. From the boardroom tables of big international business to the dining room tables of entrepreneurial startups, embracing opportunities, overcoming challenges, taking risks, while staying true to yourself is where the magic happens. So welcome to the Brave, Bold, Brilliant podcast. I'm your host, Jeanette Linfoot, and I am super excited today about our episode because we are going transatlantic. We're heading all the way over to the West Coast USA, to San Francisco. And my guest today is someone who has got the entrepreneurial spirit right through his DNA. And it's someone that I've had the privilege of knowing for 30 years. Um, He's a great friend of mine, as well as being a colleague in the travel industry. But as I say, his main um, thing is that he is just an incredible entrepreneur. Now, he started his first business back in 1997. Um, And he's grown that business to become um, a really large player in San Francisco. He is the franchise of City Sightseeing. So he's the CEO and founder of that business. And we'll hear more about that in the future. Um, He's also set up another business in 2005 called the Destination Center. And even more exciting than that, in 2018, got another venture, um, and he is also the CEO and founder of Magpie, which is in the tours and activity space. So I am delighted to welcome Christian Watts to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Um, yeah, lots of um, lots of action there, it sounds like. Um, yeah, I'm excited to be here. Brilliant. Um, sorry I haven't got the American accent to match your transatlantic launch. <laughs> well, we'll talk about your accent in a little while, Christian. But um, listen, it's it's fantastic to to have you here. What time of the day is it over over West Coast USA? It's reasonable. We're, we're eight hours behind, so it's um, it's sort of early mid morning ish. Oh, okay. Well, that's that's not too that's not too uncivilized. It could have been like four in the morning or something. So I've been quite kind to you then. <laughs> you have, yeah. I, I did a European conference last week at three a.m. So you've been you've been better than that. <laughs> Excellent. So Christian, you know where I think a great place to start would be, if you don't mind, if you just kind of take us through your journey, kind of where you started in life, what's happened along the way and sort of where you are now, and then we'll just go from there, if that's okay. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I'm, um, as you may or may not be able to tell, I'm from Newcastle. I haven't got a strong Geordie accent anymore because I moved to Chesterfield when I was 14, lost most of the Geordie, but, um, and then from Chesterfield went on to Leeds University, which is where we met, you've so kindly said 30 years ago. I'm not sure how that happened. But um, after uh, after my first year at Leeds, after our first year at Leeds, I came out to the States just for the summer on a work permit. And I rode a pedicab around San Francisco. So I did that for the summer and then had such a great time, loved it so much. I came back every year for actually for six summers. So after we finished at Leeds, I um, traveled for a couple of years and then I moved out to San Francisco in 97. Um, Got myself a green card out here, got married, got a green card, long story, um, and then set up the business in 97. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the first thing I did is buy a bus. It was it was interesting, you know, you're, you're riding a pedicab, which I think most people know now, they weren't so common back then, but it's a, it's a giant tricycle, so you're pedaling people around. And without realizing it, that started me off in the tourism industry. You don't think of that as being part of the tourism industry, but it is. I was giving people tours around San Francisco. And I met a guy and we said, let's start a business. And the natural way to scale that was to get more seats. So to get more seats, we bought a bus. So there was me and a guy I met from New York and a third partner from, from the pub, an Irish guy from the pub. And we said, why don't you join us? And we put in $3,000 each and we, we bought a bus and started doing city tours around San Francisco. And that's how it started. And uh, you know, I think back to those crazy days and none of us really had a clue about, well, still argue we don't but none of us had a clue what we were doing we just we we didn't know how to buy a bus um we we got a couple of booths out on the streets and started selling tickets to pass us by and then from there we bought a second bus bought a van bought a third bus um partnerships split up after a few years and it ended up being just me irish guy went back to ireland new york guy went on a separate way and then built it up from there wow. and um yeah to 2005 is when 
bought the first double decker. So that's when the business really took off. We had a few years of doing bus charters and bike rentals and city tours and that kind of thing. But bringing the first double deckers into San Francisco is when the business really took off. And um, yeah, I've been doing double decker buses since and uh, up until this March. And right now we're still shut down. So I hope to, hope to relaunch again this week. Fantastic. And, and I, I just love the, I love the, uh, I know your story quite well, obviously, Christian, you know, because we go way back, as we said, but you're just very casual about, you know, throwing it all in, you know, that we just met some Irish guy in the pub and we threw in three, three grand each and we sort of started a business and all very casual about, about that. But it must have been crazy back then. Was it, was it just sort of complete seat of your pants type start to the business? Yeah, hundred um, percent. And it, you know, I, I, I do, I do say it a bit offhand, maybe. But the, this, this New York guy that I met, he was also a pedicabber. And there's a lot of people in business. And, and growing up in England, I think I was always going to start my own business. And there's a lot more people that say they'll start a business than actually will. And most people will go along with an idea, but they won't. You know, most people don't execute. And this New York guy I called he was called Jack. And he was the kind of person that would just do anything. If I said, let's start a bus business, he would have said, yeah, let's do it. If I'd have started, I said, let's start a restaurant, he would have been all in. So he's probably the first person I met who I knew after meeting him would just do whatever, would just go along with it and wasn't scared to try something. But on the backside of that, he was a little bit crazy. So I almost brought in the Irish guy as a buffer. You know, here's, here's me knowing nothing. Let's bring in the barman from the Irish pub as a, as a buffer. As a third person, but we we you know at that age I, I just don't we didn't stop and think we just sort of did it we we bought a bus without really thinking we went we drove down to to the bus dealership without having any idea what to look for in a bus or brands or anything and we just we just bought our first one without knowing anything about it so it, it was a lack of thinking really it was a um, yeah it probably probably well definitely far too much courage. Than we, than we deserved. <laughs> well, this podcast is called Brave, Bold, Brilliant, you know, Christian. So I guess that's a great example of being brave and just thinking, oh, well, we'll give it a go and how bad can it be? And we'll figure out figure out the rest later sort of thing, you know, <laughs> which I think is really cool. And um, and t- talk about how that how the business evolved, because I know you've been very humble here and you've you, you sort of been quite casual about starting the business um, but where you are today, and I appreciate, you know, this, it's difficult at the moment with the current climate, but let's just say pre-COVID, you know, how big is the business? Where, where did you grow it up to? And, and sort of what, what's the shape of it, if you like, to give people a sense of the scale that you, that you really built up from those early days of pedicabbing? Yeah, so like I say, the, 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 first, the, first, few, well, the, the first few years, we were, we were all over the place. We, we got a, a shop down at Fisherman's Wharf, which is the main tourist area of San Francisco, our first shop we paid, I don't know how we ended up, we ended up paying $17,000 a month and we subleased it to t-shirts and everything else. Then the shop next to us became available. That was 42,000. We ended up paying this crazy amount of money for rent and we just filled it up with stuff. So we went out and bought a fleet of bikes and just started renting bikes. We started selling t-shirts. We were, we were just doing whatever it took. We, we, we didn't say anything, let's focus on one thing. We, we just thought we could take over the world in all of these ventures that we had no right to be in. So we crazily just scaled up all these different parts of the business, which, yeah, we, we had no, no right to be on. It took us a few years to really work out that we needed to focus on one business, which was the sightseeing business. So yeah, after a couple of years, it was just me. After 9-11, that was when Jack, the other partner, left. We had such a rough time after 9-11 that we split, went our separate ways. And then it was 2005 that I was just struggling with differentiation. There were so many sightseeing operators in San Francisco. And actually, I still remember, I went to my first trade show. It was my first ever trade show. It must have been in 2004. And it was one of these where you're sitting around and you have these, these speed dating meetings. You get sort of 10 minutes with each with each buyer and I was just sitting there at my table with my brochures and somebody came along and said, great, what are you offering? And I said, hey, that's great. We have city tours and tours to wine country and up and down the coast and all these tours. And he said, well, everything you just mentioned is the same as these other three companies just told me. And I said, yeah, but ours are much better. We have much better buses and much better customer service, much better drivers. 
which I made up because we all have the same drivers and the same buses and the same everything. And I had a few more meetings like that at the trade show and just came away thinking, I can't sell a commodity product. I need to differentiate, which I think is something that without knowing, we learned that at university in marketing. So for me, differentiation was a different kind of sightseeing product. So I bought the first uh, double-decker bus into San Francisco. And back in 2005, Hop on Up Off was around a little bit. It was in London and a few more cities in, in the UK and New York, but it wasn't big outside of that. Most people said the usual, it's never going to work. San Francisco's different. Too many hills. The weather's not going to work. The season's wrong. All these different reasons why it wouldn't work. But bought my first bus, bought a second bus, and just started running them around San Francisco, doing a hop on a half. And actually, it's, it's interesting. The first buses I bought were from London. They were ex-London sightseeing buses. So we, we drove them down to Southampton and put them on a ship and then drove them up from Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's when the, that's when the business really took off because we were the first hop on a path. We were the fourth biggest sightseeing company in the city back then. And I told an employee, I said, "Listen, we're going to be number three next year. Year after that will be number two, and then the year after that will be number one." And that that's what happened. It just took over the industry. Um, so that was a really fun ride, bringing all these buses in from the UK, um, launching the hop on a path, which was soon followed by another four competitors, all also doing hop on a path. So we ended up with a fleet of, I think, the max, we had 28 buses, 28 open-top buses. That's so cool. That's great. And I love the I love the fact it's almost, you know, you're, you're right, though, because if you're in the commodity space, it doesn't matter what business you're in, whether you're in travel or, or anything, it's not a good place to be because you're always competing on price, aren't you, in that scenario? And it's very hard to get, you know, repeat customers and, and what have you. So I think the def- differentiation le- lesson is very, very apt for anyone listening. You know, if you're in a commodity business, it's 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 a tough place to be, so differentiate. And I love the fact that probably part of it, this is maybe a bit bad being a Brit, I suppose, Christian, as well. You know, it was a it was it was a, was it because you what you saw that as being a bit of your USP, being this cute British guy with this sexy English accent, um, and therefore you had a London bus. <laughs> as opposed to sort of any other bus or was it was it just that they were the cheapest ones around and you fancied a bit of a road trip <laughs> yeah i think actually i never i never thought about it being british i i came across city sightseeing at, at um wtm which is one of the biggest trade shows in london every year and city sightseeing is the biggest um hop on up off operator in the world so i came across somebody there and they said why don't you bring in double deckers so i don't think it was anything to do with being british but um yeah, I, I do remember actually trying to buy my first bus. I was I was sitting here in, in San Francisco, and this is how old we are. I was looking at it. I think it was a yellowpages.com or something, trying to find a dealer in the, in the UK. And I called one. It was like two in, two in the morning. And, and back then, the buses had to be 25 years old to get through the emissions. It was, it's a weird law that they were grandfathered in if they were older. So I called this dealer. I said, have you got any buses that are 25 years old? He said, yeah, we've got a few. We've got a few in stock. I said, excellent. What, what, what make are they? And he gave me these make that I never heard of and I don't know how to, I still don't know how to buy a bus really and I said um, how many miles are on the engine and he sort of laughed at me he said what do you mean how many miles are on the engine I said how many miles does it got you know that's how you buy a car isn't it and he said you're joking right he says these things have been through six or seven engines already they've got probably two million miles on them not a question you ask when you're buying a bus I said oh yeah I know that I know that but I mean anyway I got I got through that I got through that phone call and I I bought some cheap at London buses. They actually cost as much to ship them as they did to purchase them. Brilliant. I, lo- I love this. Honestly, it's fantastic. And listen, I also want to pick up on a point that you said before, Christian, because you, you were saying that there was a lot of people that were saying, oh, it will never work. You know, the weather's terrible. It's too hilly. All the reasons that you gave as to people telling you that this wasn't a good business idea. Um, but you stuck to your guns and you, you followed your, your, I suppose, your gut instincts, but also, you know, very tenacious on what you wanted to do with the business. Talk about that a little bit and, and sort of how, how your mindset and, and sort of your approach to, I suppose, negative people around you and when they that, that sort of scenario played out, what gave you the strength and the resilience to, to kind of keep going, really, and follow your dreams? Yeah, I mean, you, 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 you do get that. It's one of the reasons I think I moved to the States is because it's definitely less prevalent here. There's much more of a mentality of somebody's doing something new and, and the culture definitely supports that, especially in San Francisco. But having said that, you do get that negativity all around you of 
who do you think you are trying something new? And I've been in this business for 30 years and I know how this business is supposed to work. So for me, it's probably more of a challenge. Somebody saying something's not going to work is, is an absolute challenge. So I think I enjoy that. Um, and you do have to look at who's saying that as well. If you look at people that have been around in the industry maybe too long, uh, that are not willing to move along with it, then I like to sort of, you know, for me, it gives me a kick to sort of show them that they were wrong and that they didn't move in time. And then the, 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 the people on a personal basis, there's a little bit of that. But I think personally, I think most people are, are quite supportive. I think it's less so in the UK. Um, you know, I lived there 20, just over 20 years, just um, over 20 years. But there, there was that culture of, you know, who do you think you are setting up this business and why don't you get a proper job like the rest of us sort of thing. And, but I don't, I don't see that as much from a personal level here. It's more of the business side, uh, people telling you this or that won't work. Mm, okay. No, that's, that's, that's a really interesting point because, you know, I always think people think that the UK and the US are very similar because the language clearly is, you know, don't have a language barrier generally, but doing business in the States is very different to doing business in the UK and, and also just that general approach to success and to, to kind of people that are doing well. I, I think I would agree with you that in the US, people are probably a bit more pat on the back generally if they see their neighbours doing well, whereas in the Brits will be like, oh, we've got a new car, you know, and sort of <laughs> well, we're more, more open to probably putting people down because they – feel insecure themselves very often but uh yeah it's it's an interesting time so what what kept you going during that that whole period then you know was it because you had a vision and a big dream or was it literally just day by day just kind of get through the get through what needed to be done that day yeah people people always ask where you want to be in the future and I'm, I'm i'm terrible at that question i never i never really look too far down the road so for me it's just the it's the thrill of building something I still back, remember back in those days bringing the first double deckers in and doing our first tour in a double decker in San Francisco and everyone looking to see the buses. For me, it's just it's building the business and it's it's the growth, it's the thrill of the growth and it's the thrill of market share and the success of it. You know, seeing those buses full of people is what drives me. Being full of people in an industry that I really believe in, which I think is is critical in travel. I think so many people in travel are in travel because they love it. I think more so than other industries. I was listening to something yesterday about an insurance industry uh, exec and people in insurance, I don't think are passionate about insurance as much. Uh, maybe they are, but I think that's a thrill of being able to show people the Golden Gate Bridge on my bus and seeing my buses go full on the Golden Gate Bridge is that, you know, and seeing these people, seeing an amazing sight for the first time is what really fundamentally is what drives me, I think. Yeah, and see 20, you said 28 buses, uh, the kind of the biggest size of the fleet, all branded and, and driving around the city must have been, must be fantastic. You know, it's a real kind of endorsement of your success and what you've achieved really, isn't it? To be the market leader over there. That's fabulous. Yeah, and especially in the early days, maybe I was a bit cocky, but because we were first to market and we grew quite quickly, the competitors came in, but they took a while to grow. So. And then when there were five companies and people had asked me what I do, and I said, I've got the double deckers, and they say which ones, and I said the ones with people on. <laughs> and I was I'm, I'm joking when I say that, but I wasn't joking because I did have lots of people up. Maybe I wound up the competition too much and I gave them a good um Going. Well, that combined with your British accent, probably yeah, the, the two. <laughs> Fantastic! I love that. That's great. So, so, but let's talk about sort of what you've done more recently in the business because you've got you've set the set Magpie up, and that was a couple of years ago, wasn't it? Which is sort of a real pivoting into a slightly different space for you. Talk talk about that a little bit. Yeah, well, I, I sort of go back to the story that, uh, earlier about differentiation. So. T- Maybe 12, 13 years later in the double-decker bus, Hop On, Up Off, we got to the same place, actually. There was five companies doing Hop On, Up Off. And with, with that kind of business, there's only so much you can differentiate. Your differentiation becomes having great tour guides and routes around the city and stops and add-ons. But there's only so much of that you could do. And I think we led that for maybe 10 years. But then the competitors all end up with the same routes, the same stops, the same everything. I think I was getting a bit frustrated with having another commodity business in, in effect. And we started competing on things like price, which is, which like you say, is the worst thing to do. So we actually set up a partnership with our biggest competitor, which was Big Bus. So we set up a ride share with them. 
where our passengers can ride their buses, they can ride on our buses. And that took a lot of the operational um, day-to-day away from, away from me. So that enabled me to spend a bit of time thinking on what's next. And I set up a business called Magpie, which is a SaaS business, 100% SaaS. So it came from the first business, and it's it gets a bit technical for the most listeners maybe, but it's um, when you're selling sightseeing tours to the industry, you we, we work through about 150 distributors, distributors being Expedia and TripAdvisor and Thomas Cook was one, um, trail finders, people like that. And you spend a lot of time sending that content around. So emailing Word docs and spreadsheets and Dropboxes with links and images. And that content just gets lost and it takes forever to manage that. So Magpie is just a SaaS platform to manage all of that content for everything to do with tours and activities and attractions. So it's a place that everyone from Disney to the kayak tour down the street can load up their content and we distribute it to their, from there to the other B2Cs, right. whether they be a travel agent or a concierge or an online travel agent or whoever they are. So would you describe that as a travel business or a technology business? Depends on talking to. If I'm talking to investors, it's just SaaS, SaaS, SaaS. That's all we talk about. What does SaaS um, mean for people who are listening? Oh, there, sorry. Um, software as a service. Okay. Software as a service. Yeah. Um, so I'll say, I'll say SaaS because that's what the last few years has been in, in San Francisco and elsewhere. That's, you know, the most of the big companies, are the fastest growing companies are SaaS now. So investors want to hear that. If I'm talking to most people, I talk about it as in terms of travel because that's what they understand and that's the sector we're in um but magpie is a service which is actually quite common in retail um in retail it's called product information management where people load up all of their products in one one place and from there they distribute it to amazon and walmart and all these other platforms yeah so you're i mean you're working with some some very large global brands aren't you through that platform which is a startup from what two years ago is 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 pretty pretty cool place for you to be isn't it given the short space of time yeah it's 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 nice to find such a clean space that nobody's touching and we have both sides of the market so on one side of the market are all the suppliers the, the disney's the kayaks the tour companies the bus companies and the other side are all the buyers like the expedias and the trip advisors and the booking.coms so we we have need to talk to everybody, and it is a it is a very um, clean space we found. So we're getting great traction. Even through these times, we're getting some traction, um, and it's it's been it's been exciting to be able to start something new and learn, especially to learn new, learn yeah. learn about product and learn a lot more about software. And yeah, been able to speak to a lot more people about new aspects that we didn't do before. And what's the plan for that business then, Christian? Is it to keep it and grow it, scale it? Is it to sort of exit or get some more investors in? What What are your thoughts on on where you want to take it? Yeah, we did a small seed round. We, we, um, the, the, these um, these fundraising names have all changed. Um, you get a seed round now, and then you get a pre pre seed and a pre 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 seed. You have to you have to get your terminology right in this space, I think. So we did a small round of uh, three hundred thousand last year. We're out there raising again. We actually were out there raising at the start of the year, which we put on hold um, after COVID came. So we're out there raising another round now, um, probably a few hundred thousand, probably five hundred thousand ish. Mm. And the, my my future is going to be to focus on my pie ninety percent. Um, what I, what I love about it is it's it's completely scalable, right? So it's great to have double decker buses. They're not very scalable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can go up in a new city, which is difficult. There's a lot of competition in those other cities, and it's it's just not it's it's not a business you can scale to 10x or 100x or or more. But in software and especially in SaaS, it's completely scalable. Mm-hmm. There's around about a million companies that operate some kind of tour, all the way, like I say, from the Disney's and and the, the Tuk Tuk driver in in Bangkok. You could argue is a tour business. So there's about a, we got about a potential million customers on the platform um and it's yeah it's it's a it's a huge it's a huge scale business so we've got plenty of room for growth so that's where my day-to-day is that's what i'm excited about building right now 
Oh, so it's super cool. And, and like you say, you know, if you think about the, the sector, that's massively fragmented and there's, is, there's a lot of pain points for the, for the end customer. Um, so what you do is you, you're, connect, you're the connector, aren't you, essentially? And you take the hassle away um, and make it much more convenient um, level of service for everyone involved, uh, for the supplier and the end consumer. Um, but it, you're right, there's not, there's not that many of these kind of players out there. Um, so I think it's great you found a niche. Yeah, that's exactly it. And when I explain to people, and you know, it's 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 so much easier telling people you've got to hop on a path double decker bus business because they it's four seconds and they get it, and they've seen the buses and they get it. Having to explain your SaaS business to to friends and family is more of a struggle. My family almost understand what it is now, um, but it, it it is a niche, and it's maybe it's an aging thing that the B two B becomes more an, more an exciting place to be. But then I explain to people, it's just, it's no different than a supermarket. You know, you, you don't, you don't go down to the tomato ketchup shop and buy your tomato ketchup and then go next door to buy your sugar. You, you have this thing called a supermarket. And that's what we are in effect with supermarket. Mm. We collect all of these different products in one place so somebody can come in and, and buy them. We don't sell them directly. We sell them to the, the wholesaler who, who, who sells them, but it's no different. We're just collecting everything in one place. Yeah. Online. It's, it's massively exciting and I think it's great that you've got the the fundraise that you have and like you say hopefully the next round will give you another chunk of cash that you know you can invest in and use to grow the business do you do an equity swap on that um Christian for for the investors or yeah we for the first round we did straight equity um for this round we're doing what's called a what's called a safe so it's, it's quite common in Silicon Valley now what it, what it gives the new investors is, is a discount from the next round of fundraising Right. It's it's like equity in effect. Um, <clears throat> it's the most common way now for startups to do funding is to do a safe note. Great, gosh, yeah. See, you, you sound you, see, you're convincing me. You'll be after me for money next, <laughs> won't you? You want some of my money? <laughs> yeah, I wanted to talk to you after this if we could. Yeah, just for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Listen, I want to change tack a little bit, if you don't mind, Christian, because you, you talked about, you know, obviously being British and, and, and being from Newcastle originally um, and sort of growing up there as a kid, although obviously you moved you moved out of Newcastle pretty, still pretty young. But talk to me a little bit about your sort of family background, starting life and, and how that might have sort of played a part in, in kind of your journey and, and sort of who you are as an adult, I guess, and a businessman. Yeah, I mean, I had a really great childhood. My mom, my mom's Danish, dad's English, lived in Newcastle most of my life. Um, just a very stable upbringing. And actually, I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about this, but when I when I came to San Francisco after after a couple of summers, um, the, the last summer I, I came out here, I'd been traveling, and I arrived in San Francisco with I think fifty dollars in my pocket, and went out the next day and rode a pedicab around. And after a couple of weeks, I was saving money, got myself an apartment, had my life stable again. I said to my ex, my ex-girlfriend back then, I said, I don't see, and I, and I was, and I was young and I feel terrible for this kind of language, but I said, this homeless problem we have and these people that don't get on in life, look at me. I landed in this country, I had $50 in my pocket and two weeks later I'm settled and I've got money and apartment and why can't everyone do that? And it took her to tell me, and this is white privilege, right? I didn't understand what the term was back then. I don't think we had that term, but that's what I had. And I landed here with $50. But what I wasn't seeing is that I had a whole childhood, I had a stable childhood where nothing bad ever really happened. I went to good schools. I went to university. I got a good education. And I had good peers around me. So I, 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 was, I brought up with good people, good, um, good mentors, um, good, good peers. So I had that foundation where I could land in a place with $50 and just go out to work and talk to people and do tours around San Francisco. And I just, I, I failed to see that back then. So I think it's, it's easy to, it's easy to, I don't, I don't mean to go down this whole road of this white privilege, but that's what I had and that's what I have. And it's easy to not see that. Mm. So yeah. I think you just sort of take it for granted that, well, I went to school and I passed the exams barely sometimes. And I'm the one that went to the lectures mostly. And I deserve all that because I did all that. But but I, had the, I was given the foundation to enable me to achieve all of that. And yeah. it's difficult just to say, no, I, I deserve this and I deserve that. Well, yes, I did do the work, but I was given a great start in life. And I speak English as a first language. Despite being from Newcastle, I speak, I speak English. Um, 
Yeah, so I think it's my 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 childhood was was great. It was a great foundation, probably for what came later. Yeah, no, I think you're right, actually, because, and I often think it's not necessarily until you get a little bit older. I mean, obviously, we're we're well into our 40s now, unfortunately, um, but we are. And it's not until you get a little bit older and wiser that you do sort of reflect on some of this stuff and, and realise, you know, that those early years you know, of a good family background really, really helped and, and kind of set you up with solid foundations that you probably didn't really realise at the time. You know, you almost almost take it for granted a little bit, don't you, until until actually you, you have a bit of um, maturity maybe behind you to reflect in a slightly different way. Um, yeah. And what, what about your mum and dad, um, Christian? What what area, um, what, what were they in? What do they do as a profession? Mum was a nurse. Um yeah, she did nursing her whole career. My, my dad was in the coal industry, which is actually why we moved from Newcastle to Chesterfield. Everything shut down in Newcastle in the mid-80s. So we got moved down to Chesterfield. Um, he was an industrial chemist. We, we never really understood what he did. Um, so they, they, were never into, they were never into business. They, they, yeah, we, we went completely different directions. They were always very supportive. I'd, I'd, I'd always get the usual when I go back for... When I go back home for Christmas or something, my mum would always give me a lot of nudge, you know, isn't it time to get a proper job? I'm like, I'm a couple of years of that. But then they've been they've been so supportive since then of everything I wanted to do. I think I think throughout childhood I was always gonna do my own thing. I'm I'm one of these people I used to do the the snack thing at, at school, you know, I'd walk around with a bag full of Mars bars and Twixes and stuff, lugging them to people and Sold women's lingerie for a while there in the sixth form, and sold beer. I used to import beer at, uh, at Leeds. We used to go to um, France every week with a transit van and fill it up with beer, and um, sell that to students. We did that. I think I did fifty trips to France. I've all sort of done my own thing, and I just get a kick out of it. Yeah, you, you. I mean, I, you know, you're, you're making me smile actually, Christian, because you're just bringing back a lot of memories of our time together when we were at uni. And um, yeah, you, you, there was no way, even way back then, that you were ever going to go down a sort of traditional route of a career and a job and working for someone else. I mean, it was really apparent, even when I think, even when the day we met, which was at the bus stop. <laughs> in Leeds, I probably knew straight away that one, we were going to be friends forever, but two, that you you really saw saw the world quite differently and you would always be doing your own thing. I think that was really clear really early on. Um, it was to me anyway. Um, where, where do you think that came from, that, that sort of, you know, just entrepreneurial spirit? Because you've just given like about five or six different examples there of even before you got into the business in the US where, you, you know, you were already an innovative entrepreneur at a really early age. Yeah, I, I can't put my finger on it. You know, there's there's no there's no event or there's no. I suppose growing up, everyone in England looks looks to Richard Branson. He he was always been an idol. You know, I read all of his books and I, I followed him my whole life. But there's no there's no particular event. Um, I can put it down to Thatcher. <laughs> I was the only person in Newcastle with a, a vote Thatcher or vote Conservative poster in my window at the age of twelve or something. <laughs> um, even younger um just that just that spirit maybe of 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 entrepreneurship but i i can't put i can't put it down to a single to a single event it's it's yeah it's it's, it's difficult to think about I don't, I don't know what i don't really know where it came from mm, yeah. i think i just saw saw excitement in in people who started businesses and it just seemed very creative and free and yeah it's, it's difficult to put a finger on yeah, well, it's definitely something that stayed with you your whole life, isn't it? You know, in, in, even in the way that you approach things now and all the businesses you've got now and all the success you've had, you, you've always got that thirst for knowledge. And and let's talk about that a little bit, because obviously we were at university together and I, I could tell lots of stories about university, but I, I won't go there because you could probably t- equally tell all the stories about me. So um, I'll keep it. I'll I'll keep it safe. But I think even almost post university, you've always had this sort of I think a thirst for knowledge and and sort of almost wanting to expand your mind, learn new stuff, be inspired by people. And I you know I think you you more than anyone actually I see a lot I see you do that a lot and you talk a lot about that kind of thing. Do you want to just sort of you know touch on on how important that's been for you? Yeah, that, that is funny. Yeah, I won't tell stories about you from university. He said, she said at this point, so you better be careful. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
a, a funny story. I was, I was back home a couple of years ago with my parents. And I think when you get to a certain age, your parents start bringing down boxes of stuff and say, can you sort this out? Because it needs to get out of the house. And my mum brought down me a box of university notes. And um, there was quite a lot of boxes of it. And I started going through, and it's just old notes. They're not really, you know, some lecture notes. And I started going through it. And I found a, a, lot, a lot of your notes in there, which piles of the stuff. And what I think happened is um, I think I was probably lending you my notes. And when you gave them back, your, yours were getting mixed in with mine. That's how I remember it. But anyway, I, st- I started reading through these, these lecture notes. And I, I always said to everyone that I don't remember ever applying anything that I learned in university later in life. You know, we studied for three years economics and management. And I don't think I learned anything that I applied. Then I started reading through these notes and I was reading some motivational theory stuff and I was reading some economic theories. And I'm thinking, no, I've used this. I've used all of this in the last 20 something years without thinking about it. So I think a lot of that theoretical stuff from studying economics and management, it goes into your head, but you don't realize you, you don't realize it's there, but you, you're, you are using that to build on. So I think I, when we finished university, I remember picking up The Economist magazine probably the week after we finished. I should have been reading it all the way through, but I never did. Almost the week after. And I just had this thirst for knowledge. So I just love to read about business, about world events. And I just love to learn, especially especially in the business field. I love to learn new, new software, how things work. So I think it's what I love about America as well, is especially in San Francisco and Silicon Valley area, there's just a real thrill to learn. And it's all about, it doesn't matter if you succeed or if you fail, it's all about what can we learn from this. And it's just, it's the, it's the disruptive mentality, which is just really strong around it. You know, it's, it's, you walk in a bar in San Francisco and if, you, if your latest startup just failed, it's almost, everyone's giving you high fives to say, nice job, what did you learn from that? What's next? And it's, it's just a real mentality of, um, we're just trying to strive to get ahead by that thirst for knowledge. So I probably spend more time now learning than ever. I love just to sit down and learn new aspects. Um, I actually probably study economics more now than I ever did. I wouldn't say study, but I read about economics more than now than ever did. And I apply that to business. Yeah, well, it might Especially be. Especially in the SaaS business. Well, it might be, Christian, because you haven't got my notes to copy anymore. You know, <laughs> So you have to do it for yourself now. Um, but anyway... <laughs> But, you know, I mean, this is really valuable, I think, for people listening, because I think, you know, very often we go through a formal education, um, don't we, which, you know, school and college and maybe university or maybe an apprenticeship or something like that. But, you know, it tends to stop at a certain age, naturally. Um, And so then after that, it really is down to kind of you to continue the learning and continue the development. And, um, you know, I know for myself, I, I'm I'm not dissimilar to you in that I always want to be a better version of myself or learn something new or new perspective. And and I think, you know, for advice to anyone that's either starting out or even if they're at a later stage of their career, um, there's no better thing than to learn something, is there? And to constantly work on yourself. Um, and I think that's that's something that you've done by the bucket loads, isn't it, really, over the years? Yeah, it's, it's frustrating that so many people don't. You know, I, I, they go to conferences and they and they sit down and they and they take a photo of the slides sometimes and they take a couple of notes. But there's so many people are faking it. They they go there and they're not really going to go home and do anything with those notes. Mm. And they don't learn new skills. You know, it's all about TikTok these days. And people in business should be learning the basics on what TikTok is because it's probably going to be a huge thing going forward. But people don't. They get stuck. With what they with what they learned either through formal education or what they learned at the last job, and they don't keep improving themselves and they get left behind. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's part of why I started the bus business. When I started the bus business, it was it was full of bus people that knew everything about transmissions and engines and all that side of it, and they were great at that, but they didn't know how to build a website. So they it took them year maybe ten years to build their first website. So that's how we got in there and we got ahead of the market and we built that business. Mm. And I think people will always continue to do that. They don't, they don't adapt and they get left behind by new people that come in and have learned the, the way things work now. And especially in marketing these days, it's, it's changing really quickly. Google's changing really quickly and those, those free search engine results are, are, are dwindling quickly and you need to start learning about social or people will leave you behind. 
Yeah. And and I mean, that's brilliant. I think there's just so much gold in there, Christian, for anyone that's listening. So if you were someone uh, maybe listening to this that's um, sort of starting out in a business or has already had businesses but wants to do something new, what, what would your advice be to them or maybe sort of a couple of pieces of advice that you'd give them? So one thing, and actually you you, you um, said this on one of your other podcasts, and I know you're involved in this space, but the, the mentorship. So I never had a mentor. So I moved 6,000 miles away to a, to a new city, and the only people I knew were friends from the pub sort of thing. So I didn't have mentors in business. And I look back now, and I, and I, wish, I wish I did. I, I would have got so much value out of having one or two or three people that I could sit down with you know, what once a week or once a month or just, just to give me some advice, but I didn't have any of that. And there were so many mistakes we made just by being young and foolish that were totally unnecessary. And I could have probably saved years of growth of the, of the business by having one or two good people around me, which it's, it's my fault. I didn't think to also reach out and find those mentors because I think when you're young, you don't. You think you wouldn't say, I wouldn't say no at all, but you have this feeling of it, you know, you just run with it and you don't stop to think how can I do this better mm. as far as getting a mentor? You just, you, I think every day, how can I do the next task better? But it's difficult to take a step above and think if I had a mentor in business who's been around the block a little bit, they could tell me, don't open a t-shirt shop, don't start renting, don't do all this crazy stuff, focus for a little while and build your business. So I think mentorship definitely is something that I could have valued and I should have valued more and, 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 and gone to look for. Um, and then, yeah, it's, it's difficult on that. I've, it, my, my problem has been that I've probably, I probably moved too quickly. I probably start thinking, and my, and my team would always say this, I go to a conference and I come back with six new ideas. And I think they see it as their job when I'm at a conference for whenever I get back, they have to try and slow me down a little bit and put me off doing all these things. So that's been, that's been one of the things that I could have probably controlled more, but that's what gives me drive as well. It's just to start new things and to keep moving and to keep changing. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're right. For every yin, there's a yang, isn't there? You know, so the, the, the joy of being entrepreneurial and creative and having loads of ideas is fantastic. You don't want to lose that, but then it's how do you actually channel it and focus and, and make sure you're backing up those ideas with sort of an actionable plan, if you like, um, and, and so that you can actually make something happen um, rather than try and do a bit of everything and nothing very well, I suppose. So no, that's, that's a great piece of advice. And I think with mentors, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, I've been looking, my path has been very different to yours, Christian, as you know, you know, I, I've been much more in the corporate space and at various points of my career, I, I have benefited from having mentors in my life. So I, I, it's definitely made a big difference to me. And even now, you know, as I, as I sit here, you know, we've got our, Chris and I've got our property business and we have two incredible mentors, uh, Mark Homer and Rob Moore, who were the founders of Progressive Property, which is the largest property education business in the UK. And their support, advice, encouragement, bit of a push every now and then has, has totally transformed what we're doing with our property business. So I think you're right, it's at different points of your career or your business life that mentors can can definitely play a massive, a massive part. And you know, when I work with my mentee clients, you know, every every single person is different, every single person's objectives or vision is different. And it's trying to if you've got a safe place, you know, that you can actually confide and get some support and encouragement and learn from other people's mistakes rather than make them yourself, um, that is a is a really, really big win. So I think that's a great piece of advice for people starting out is yeah, you know, surround yourself with the right people. Um, but don't be don't be scared to um to ask for help and, and support and advice, I guess, as well, really. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, just two two things came from that. One is there's, there's no reason to, in today's world why you, you can't find mentors, where you can join Facebook groups or LinkedIn or anything and find people like-minded that you can use as mentors. Even if it's not formally, you could you can find people to chat with, mm. ask questions and get feedback. Second bit, I never really put it together, but yeah, if you're, if you're in a corporate, your mentors are people around you working for that company. You've got a boss and you've got peers and you've got people you can chat with. As an entrepreneur, you don't have that. Which is why a lot of people say entrepreneurship's lonely, which I think a lot of times it is. Um, but because you, you, you don't have that boss just to go and have a word with and go and run something by. And when things are going badly, which a lot of times, let's face it, they do, you, you've, you have to, first of all, shield your employees from it sometimes if you don't want them getting mixed up in some drama. Um, 
and yeah secondly there's, there's no one to always go and talk to about it and to work through problems so you end up taking a lot of that load on yourself which i think is very difficult but it's also quite lonely mm-hmm. um, which yeah in a, in a corporate you don't necessarily have that yeah how, how do so you I, cope? I how... entrepreneurs Sorry, so i suppose entrepreneurs really should be seeking out i'm just thinking through it now actually mm-hmm. now that you say it, we, sh- we should be seeking out mentorship much earlier because we don't have that natural um that natural structure around us. Yeah, it's a great perspective. I've not thought of it in that sense. I mean, you, you, hear, you hear the phrase a lot, it's lonely at the top in, in terms of whichever scenario. If you're the boss, it's, it's quite tough, isn't it? Because all the, you know, you feel like the book stops with you and therefore you carry the burden and the stress and the worry and everything in whichever scenario. But you're right, in the corporate, you've got much more infrastructure around you to, to sort of rely and call on, whereas as an entrepreneur, um, in particular, in a very if you're in a smaller business, it's it's tough. It can be really tough. Let, let's talk about that because obviously, you know, people listening to this, obviously they they'll be incredibly impressed with what you've achieved from kind of literally nothing to creating the you know the great businesses that you've got today. And and you're you're essentially you through all of that, Christian. You know, you're you're exactly the same as we were all those years back. You know, as a personality and kind of your values, etc. But de- dealing with failure and things that haven't gone so so well for you, do you want to just pick up on a couple of examples that might just give people some sort of food for thought, really, in terms of how you've dealt with difficult situations um, when it's been really tough and what's kind of helped you get through those? Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd say that the, the worst things haven't been failure. I mean, I've had plenty of things that have failed. Um, I'm, I'm fortunate that I, I've always got something else to, to work on so when I say failure maybe an aspect of the business that just hasn't worked things like selling t-shirts which was crazy idea in the first place didn't work out we just moved on and did something else so for me that was never a problem as long as there's something else to work on the the, the, the bad times in the business yeah it's 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 just difficult I think I've, I've got a bit of and I put this down to the Britishness a bit of the um a bit of the Dunkirk and I, I like to read a lot of Churchill and I really I do gravitate towards that this this spirit of we must fight on and we must get through it i i've always looked at running the business as being like in a boxing match and you're up there fighting and and every now and again you get punched and you fall down but the only way you're going to win it is to get back up and keep fighting and then sometimes someone hits you from behind sometimes three people hit you at the same time and then sometimes you have a good run but the only thing you can do is get back up and keep fighting because you've got these other people that rely on you and if you lay on the ground flat out the, the you you want the rest of the business you know will will fall with you so i just i just have this real mentality of just having to scrap through so sometimes actually the worst of the times is when you, you when you see it in yourself and you think this is my time now to to rise up and get through this mm-hmm. and i remember i remember a really bad phone call but business just business wise nothing personal but a really bad phone call a couple of years ago and thinking, oh my God, this is this is kind of the end. How am I going to get out of this situation? And I got the phone call. I drove into the office. It was about an hour later. And just through that hour, my brain, as it does, you know, your brain starts working overtime. And my, I got so creative in that hour, coming up with ideas of how to get out of this situation. And I sometimes think that's what drives you as well. It's you never choose to go through the bad times, but it's the bad times when you're forced into thinking about things that really that you get the most out of. And it's when your brain really kicks in. Whereas when everything's going okay and it's stable, I don't think that, I don't think you get that creativity. Mm. So you, you, you never wish those, those ups and downs so much, but I do think that's what drives people onwards as well. If, if, if everything was stable, you, you wouldn't get that, you wouldn't get that um, creativity and that innovation, which is why I think as well, a lot of, they say a lot of, a lot of this innovation comes out of bad times like today. Um, when you have no other place to go and you're forced to pivot or you're forced to think of something new is when things really move ahead. Technology is definitely moving ahead in these COVID times Mm. because companies are being forced to. Yeah, and that's a great perspective. I think you're right. You know, it's almost like necessity is the mother of invention, isn't it? You know, it's that old saying that probably I think my mum used to say that, you know, years ago. And um, I think that's absolutely true. It's true in life and it's true in business, isn't it? If you're, fight, if you're fighting for survival, uh, whether it's in a personal situation, literally, or in your business scenario, I think you're right. You can get creative. I mean, the other thing that I think is interesting is um, is is almost like this, this fertile void, um, you know, at a time when – 
almost some of the normal structures in your life are stripped away, you know, maybe because you're not commuting to the office or you're working in a different way or whatever. If you can stay in that almost being quite uncomfortable, not knowing what's next, your creative juices do get going and I think you can get some of your best ideas. And, you know, I know myself, I've launched two businesses during, during lockdown, you know, which had, uh, you know, had that not been the case, I probably would never have done them, you know? So it's uh, it's an interesting time, isn't it? And, uh, but I think you naturally have that in you, Christian, you know, because you talked about when you had the two, the two, um, two shops, the two premises in San Francisco, you think, well, oh my gosh, we've got these overheads. How the hell are we going to make it work? And okay, you made mistakes, but you just, you did anything you could to survive selling t-shirts as well, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I, and I think, yeah. And I think everyone gets stuck in a, everyone gets stuck in a rut. Companies do and people do. And it's, it's an awful thing today in, in the industry, especially in the travel industry. And, and there's never been a worse time in the travel industry, but and I said at the start of the, of the lockdown, there's a lot of, unfortunately, there's a lot of jobs that have gone that won't come back. But the, I think the jobs will, will be different. And there's a lot of people that were doing jobs that actually shouldn't have been doing those jobs in the first place. Not on a personal basis, but there's companies that should have improved those processes and automated things, which is what Magpie, in effect, is doing. Because people shouldn't be doing repetitive processes. There's, there's plenty, I believe there's plenty of jobs out there for people automation isn't going to replace jobs. It's just going to move them from one thing to another. And especially in the travel industry, there's almost unlimited demand, mm-hmm. or there will be again, for, for travel. And we need lots of people, and there will be those jobs back in travel. But companies just don't stop to think, do we need to still be doing this process in this old manual way? And now, like you say, um, because you're forced into it, you are finding the ways to do without those people. Mm-hmm. And it's um it's 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 tough to talk about because there's been so many hundreds of thousands of people affected, especially in the travel industry. But I, I do believe those jobs are coming back. Yeah. Yeah. No, I people think that's... Just, but people do need to learn different skills because the job they were doing before won't be the same job when they come back. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And I think it's a great, you know, if if you anyone finding themselves in a situation like that, you know, I would always come back to one of the things we were talking about earlier is invest in yourself, you know, in your own personal development, take the opportunity to learn new skills or read some stuff or get out there networking, even virtually, so that you can you can really start to kind of, I suppose, put more tools in your toolkit for whatever the future world is going to look like. Um, but yeah, it's, sometimes it's hard to admit that that's what's needed. Um, but yeah, it's out of out of um, difficult times, opportunities do come, don't they? Um, for sure. Yeah, and the, and the great thing now is that everything's available to all of us for free. You know, it's you, you could pay for courses and this and that. People do, and that's great. But you can also get anything you want for free on and and this podcast being a great example. Mm-hmm. Anyone can listen to a podcast and YouTube's got, I don't know how many trillion hours of videos about anything you want. If you need motivation, there's there's the best motivational speakers in the world doing free content on YouTube. Yeah. If you want very technical business advice, you can find that. If you want tutorials on this, you can go to Harvard or Oxford or Cambridge and do lectures on you. You know, it's it's all available to us. Um, it, yeah, you just, you just got to get out, get out there and do it. And I know for a lot of people, it's it's motivation, which is really hard when it's times like this. I'm fortunate I haven't got young children at home. My, my kids are a little bit older, but it's, I know it's been tough for a lot of people been stuck in, stuck in the home with kids and trying to work. But it, it is hard, I think, people to get out of that rut. But I, I get inspired by, I'm on YouTube constantly, just listening to people, listening to, to the Gary V's of the world and people like that who... I find a little bit too American, but um, that's fine. I, I find them 80% motivational and 20% full of whatever, but I, I like listening to him. He gives me energy. Mm-hmm. And there's plenty of people like that who are, who are less American, if you like. You can find other ones, but it, it gets me going as well. I think I think everyone needs needs that throughout the day. I, I go for runs and bike rides and put podcasts on, listen to business books. There's, there's just so much information out there today. Yeah. But yeah. A few years ago, you had to go to the library. Yeah, it's true. It's true. No, I think that's great. That's great advice for people as well. You know, you can get inspiration from so many places and it doesn't actually have to cost you anything, just your time and effort of actually doing it in the first place. And just just to slightly um, probably ask a couple of final questions, Christian, if I may. Um, 
So obviously, as an entrepreneur, your your brain is constantly on the go. You know, you've got ideas all the time. You're you're working on your personal development. You, you you've got multiple businesses. You're doing all of this stuff. So so how do you turn off? Or well, maybe the question is firstly, do you ever turn off? And if you do, what does that look like for you in terms of family time or personal time? Just so that you try and get the some semblance of the elusive balance that people talk about. Yeah, the balance. Um, I think for, for many years, I, I, I didn't get the balance right. When, you, when you're really starting up and I, I was working weekends and um, I, I didn't get the balance right. And I'm lucky to have a supportive family. But I've had, I've had lots of years now, especially when, when the, the, the kids are teenagers. So most of their life, I've been more balanced and I've at least taken weekends off for most of their lives. My brain, yeah, never turns off. I, mean, I know my, my wife would all, always be saying back in the day, you need to turn off and do something else. And I, I think there are some people that can finish at five o'clock and go home and they don't think about it. I've never been one of those people. So now it's just, it's just me and I don't, I don't think anything of it. My, my brain just works full time thinking about the business, which is about football. The, the great thing about football for me was that when, you, when you're playing football, Unless you're stuck way, way on the left wing and your team's terrible or something, but but you, you your brain can only focus on the ball, can only focus on the match, and you, your brain's not able to think to wander off and think about other things. But for me, that was a great escape just just playing ninety minutes of football, focusing on that ball, and waiting for that pass or, or whatever it may be. But that was always a good escape. I kept getting injured, so now I run a lot and, and bike a lot. Which actually doesn't help me escape because I just listen to podcasts and my brain goes even more crazy. Um, <laughs> I suppose travel is the one escape. I love to travel, especially go on family trips. And when I when I travel and go to different countries, especially, I, I can turn the brain off. I think having that new perspective out there, having that new place to look at, and so much to experience helps mm. focus it on where you are rather than everyday business. Yeah. But if my home, it's it's difficult to to get away from the business in, inside your head. Yeah, no, it's uh, yeah, I, I'd agree. It's 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 difficult, but it's just trying to um, I suppose find find the right formula that's good for you, you know, because everyone's different, aren't they? And uh, as you say, you've got a very supportive wife and lovely two lovely kids, so uh, that helps as well. So, what's next for Christian then? Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm all about Magpie right now. Um, hundred percent focus or ninety something percent focus on Magpie and next round of funding and growing that into into business. Um. I'm sure somewhere down the road we we might sell it, but there's no particular plans to. I, I'm just in a really fun part of growing of growing the business right now, so it's it's a really exciting place to be. Um, and I think it's actually not the worst time. I hate, I hate to say this because of COVID and everyone in our space is struggling. I mean, everybody is, but actually we're an efficiency we're an efficiency platform. So when I talked earlier about automation, that sort of thing. We are one of those tools people need to use going forwards just to be more efficient and to use those people more wisely elsewhere in their business instead of doing repetitive tasks. Mm. My focus is 100% on my pie. I'm really excited about the space. After that, we'll see. Excellent. And one final question. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? I'll say, and this is a personal one, and this was back in college, but stick to your knitting. was was one that probably and that's personal to me because i have a tendency not to yeah. so i think sticks to your netting would be the best i don't know if that was drucker or somebody but um i think that's that, that's key yeah then I'll, I'll, I'll go on from that because I, I i'm in that space now we've been talking about it i think having those mentors having those people around you every business book you you read will talk about having the best people all of them and, mm-hmm. it, and it's critical and again when you're young you don't see that whether they're mentors or peers or just or employees or bosses, whatever, having great people and spending spending your time with those people instead of what's natural, which is spending your time with the problem with the troublemakers, mm. because we all spend too much time dealing with people that are problems, and they will take up all of your life rather than spending that time being productive with the people who are positive and productive and you can learn from and and push ahead. It's quite a long-winded answer to a short last question, but that's my um, answer. That's excellent. Fantastic. So, Christian, where can people find you? Uh, LinkedIn. I'm, I'm always on LinkedIn. Christian, what's on LinkedIn? Or uh, Christian at magpie.travel. 
Excellent. Well, listen, I, you... I should say you can find me on TikTok, but I'm not quite there yet. I'm still, <laughs> I'm still working on my first dance. <laughs> I look forward to seeing the first dance. That's brilliant. Um, listen, thank you so much, Christine. You've been amazing. You were definitely brave, bold and brilliant in my eyes. So I, it's been a pleasure to have you on. And um, I know that our friendship will be going on for, well, till the day we die, you and I, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. And I appreciate um, you doing this podcast for all of your listeners. I'm sure they're getting great value out of it. And um yeah, good luck with everything. Thank you so much. That's great.